It's not a time of mourning. So let's get some smiles on the faces, right? You got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a time of worship. So uh, get your Bibles out. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Only two verses this week. Only two verses, but two powerful verses that I think are life-changing if we would really grab a hold of the significance of this. Uh, as I mentioned a little earlier, I'll mention it again, but Wednesday night we're going to be studying about the tabernacle, and you might be questioning, well, why in the world would we study about an old tent <laughs> that they carried around in the wilderness? And the reason is because it has so much significance not just back for the people in the wilderness, but for us because almost everything in that tabernacle is a picture of what Christ purchased for us on the cross. And so by looking at it, we're actually looking at what Jesus has done. We will spend all of eternity worshiping and lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ because of this plan of salvation and how he brought it about. And so the tabernacle gives us an early on picture of what he is going to do, how he is going to save his people, how a perfect holy God can live with a sinless people. That's what the tabernacle is really about. And so I, I you know, in, invite you to come uh, Wednesday night and participate. Like I said, it's going to be a little bit different than anything that we've done before on, on Wednesday nights. So hopefully you've got your Bible and you've turned to Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 12 through 13, and you recognize chapter 12, or verse 12, right? Most of you have heard this. Uh, sermon today is going to be about a double-edged sword, which uh, maybe you've not recognized it, but I recognized it, that uh, Casey kind of alluded to this, maybe not to this particular verse, but I think you'll see where we're going to anyway. But Jesus is better, isn't he? Amen? Amen? Amen. Jesus is better. He is better than anything. He is better than the prophets of the Old Testament. And they did mighty and great things, didn't they? I mean, they performed miracles. Elijah's miracles, uh, the fire coming down on Mount Carmel, licking up the water and everything that went on in all of those mighty miracles. Jesus is better than even them. He's superior to them. He's superior even to the angels who are mighty creatures in themselves, able one angel able to defeat 185,000 people, the angel of the Lord. He's greater than Moses, and the people of Israel revered Moses. And the word Moses became synonymous with the Old Testament law, but they revered him so highly that they were dedicated to keeping to the letter of the law, and they actually thought that that could save them. But Jesus is greater, and that's what the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to get across and trying to get across to us today that he is better than all of these things. And for us, it means that he is better than anything in our world. He's better than a new car, right? Better than anything that we can get like that, any material thing. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is concerned that these people are going to go back to the old Mosaic law, something that is inferior and will never provide true salvation for them. And so he says, don't neglect this salvation that you have been given lest you drift away from it. He's afraid that people who have heard the gospel message 
and made some kind of profession. They probably were not really truly saved or converted, but they're going in the wrong direction. They're not going toward Christ. They're going back toward the Old Testament law and saying, I need to go back to the Old Testament law because that's where I can offer my sacrifice and be acceptable to God. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, no, there is no going back. Now that Christ is here, you can only go forward with Christ. He's better anyway. And so do not harden your hearts, this writer would say, as the people of Israel did, and they missed the promised land. They got to the edge of the promised land. They sent in spies. Only two of them said, yes, we can take this land. The rest of them said, no, they're too big for us. And because of their disobedience and the hardness of their heart, they wandered the, de the desert for 40 years until all of that generation died off. And he says to them, do not have an evil, and he says to us, do not have an evil, unbelieving heart leading you away from the living God. And finally, last week, we talked about after all of this, we can enter into another rest that Jesus Christ, that only Jesus Christ gives. And that's the rest from earning our salvation. And he says, don't go back to the Old Testament law. There's no rest there. There's only do, 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 do. It's only in the New Testament under the new covenant with Christ where Jesus has done it all for us and we merely respond in faith. Amen. Wonderful news. It's just wonderful news. I think sometimes we don't realize how wonderful news it is compared to the Old Testament. And the Old Covenant was a wonderful covenant. If it could have been obeyed, right? It was a conditional covenant. God said, you do this and I will do this. But they couldn't do it because we all have this sinful nature. And so the New Covenant is a much greater covenant and Jesus is far superior than anything in the Old Testament. So that brings us to our scripture today. Let's go ahead and stand up as we read just these two verses and then we'll have time of prayer and we'll get into what God has for us here today. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity today that we have to read and discuss it and study it. And we pray that you would help us to understand your word here today. And not only understand it, but that today you would do through your word what you say it can do in our lives. That it can be this two-edged sword, this sharp sword that pierces to the division of joints and marrow, and it divides between the true intention and motives of our heart. We pray that you would help it to do that, and we would study that today, learn it, and apply it to our life, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think most of you here, along with me, revere the Word of God, and this is what we're talking about today, the very word of God. It's the word of God of which Paul speaks in 2 Timothy. He says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
The word of God is sufficient for everything that God intends for it to do through us. If we need teaching, we go to the word of God for that teaching. It's profitable for that. It profits us to read and study the word of God. Sometimes we need to be corrected and it's there for our correction. And sometimes we need to be trained in righteousness and it provides that as well. In just a few chapters, we'll, we'll be seeing that the many of the people in the book of Hebrews that this letter is going to had not matured in their faith. They were still babies in their faith. And so he commands them to go on and to mature. And that's the word of God is what helps us to do that. The apostle Peter says this, that the word of God came of no prophecy of uh First of all, that no prophecy of Scripture came from someone's own interpretation. For prophecy was, uh, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along from the Holy Spirit. So, you know, just real briefly, the Word of God is not from man. It is not created by man. It was not uh, put together by man, but it was put together by the Holy Spirit. People who were influenced by the Holy Spirit wrote those words down, and we have them today. But I love this, and this will be the last one I read before we get into the bulk of our message here today. But Psalm 19 just has beautiful words about not only what the Word of God is, what the law of the Lord is, but how we should feel about it. And he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. One of, I mean, just a beautiful section of scripture, but one of the things I want to point out is just his attitude toward the word of God. And so many people in our culture today do not have this attitude toward the word of God. Many of them do not believe it, but many of them, even if they do believe it, see the commandments of God as drudgery, as burdensome. And the word of God itself says just the opposite. These are for your joy these are for your delight. These are for your welfare. And so today we, we talk about the word of God. Our basic message is that the word of God is powerful to effect change in our lives. Had a little trouble with the tongue here, but the word of God is powerful to effect change in our lives. Amen? Amen. Now a question that we have to deal with is do we want our lives to change or not? <laughs> Because so many times we do not want our lives to change. We get comfortable in the way that we are doing thing, things. And then the word of God comes in and says, well, really, if you really want to maximize your joy, 
you should be doing this as well. And sometimes we see that as burdensome. We see that as, I really don't want to do that. I'm comfortable right where I'm at. I'm comfortable with my schedule. I'm comfortable with my hobbies. I'm comfortable with my life. Why do you have to interrupt that? But we'll see that it's all for our good. First point I'd like to make from our scripture that we've read here today, and all of most of this is in verse number 12, is that the word of God is his living word. Amen? It's living word. That's exactly what the scripture says. It says, for the word of God is living and active. What does it mean that it is living? Does it mean like so many people refer to our conversation a constitution as a living and breathing document. It's not, it doesn't mean that, right? <laughs> so when, when people talk about our constitution being a living and breathing document, they would say that the con constitution and its meaning changes based upon culture. You don't believe that, do you? <laughs> I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe that we interpret our constitution the same way that we do the word of God, that it has a specific meaning, that the book of Hebrews has a specific meaning for the readers of the recipients of it, and that we need to determine what that is from the text and not from the culture around us. Does that make sense? So it's living, but it's not living in the sense that it changes. It's living in the sense is that it comes from the very living God who breathed it out. Does that make sense? Our God is a living God. Jesus is no longer in the grave. He is alive. He rules over everything. His word goes forth and it is living and active. It is effective. It's doing things in our lives. It is living because it originates with a living God. Literally, it is God-breathed. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. All scripture is inspired by God. It's literally God-breathed. Therefore, it is living, it is active, or it is effective. It does exactly what it promises that it will do. Each and every time we preach the gospel or share the gospel with someone and we do it properly, it will accomplish exactly what God wants it to accomplish. Isaiah 55.11 a verse you may be familiar with says, My word, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's God's word saying every time God's word goes forth, it is effective. That should be so relieving to us as people who share our faith, right? When we share our faith, we share the words of Christ, we share the words of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. When we share that, it has its intended effect. Sometimes God's word, the preaching of the gospel, has the intention of convicting and judging. Sometimes it has the effect of saving. But it has its intended effect. And so we should have great confidence and boldness in sharing God's word. It is never going to fail. It will never fail. It will never change. It will never fail. 
It teaches, it reproves, it corrects, it trains us in righteousness that we might be complete and equipped for every good work. It is a living word. When we read it, it has an effect upon us, which we'll see in our second point when we see that the word of God is his piercing word or penetrating word. Does any of this instill a little bit of trepidation in your life <laughs> when you hear that his word is a piercing word and it's described as a double-edged sword? I think sometimes we get so familiar with Christianese and that's kind of the language that we speak. We talk about the sword, the word of God being a double-edged sword. It just kind of rolls really easy off the tongue and we don't get the impact that this thing is sharp and it is penetrating and it is sometimes painful. But it cuts both ways. And what I mean by that is that the word of God is penetrating, but it also heals and encourages, right? And I think that's one thing Casey was trying to get across to us is that this conference for them, sometimes hard things were said, but they, were, they brought healing in the end result. And that's the way of the word of God is. Uh, the actual sword that was probably used during the Romans times was probably anywhere from 16 to 36 inches. So that's 16 inches, you know, 36 is a yard. Probably a Roman typical sword that a soldier would carry is about 20 inches long. It was called a gladius. It was used for slashing and thrusting into an opponent. Very crude, in a sense, if you think about actually how that works. Uh, a sword can be very destructive. A knife can be very destructive. But a scalpel used with precision can be used for healing or removing a tumor or a cancer of some sort. And so I believe God most of the time uses the word of God more as a precise instrument like a scalpel. One time he used it as like a two before on me. <laughs> it was very blunt. I was being disobedient to God and I've told you this story before that Darla continued to go to the church with the kids. This has been probably 30 years ago now, but she was going to church with the kids. I had drifted away slow drifting away. I'd stopped going, helping on Wednesday night youth. I'd used my job as an excuse. I had to be at my job. Gradually, more and more, I, I, I missed church more and more until I was missing on Sunday mornings. Darla continued to go to church. And when it, within a period of about three months, I lost my job. Uh, Darla was in a car accident with the kids going to church. And we had a tornado in Allendale. And you see, God loves to use the word of God to reach us, but I wasn't in the word of God, so he had to use it too before. He used nature. And uh, he got my attention. He got my attention. I thought, he's trying to tell me something. I need to come back. And I started back to church, and, you know, 35 years later, here I am here today. But don't think that you cannot drift away from the, from the faith if you do not pay attention to your salvation. If you do not heed God's word, 
and understand its purpose, then don't be understand if you drift away. If you're not having a quiet time and you're relying just upon what you hear on the radio or maybe one sermon a week, don't be surprised if you are misunderstand some things and are drifting away from the faith. We need more than that. We need to be in a relationship with God, hearing from him all the time. We are to pray without ceasing. That means we are to speak to God and to listen to God at all times. And when we don't, and our hearts maybe become hard, God will use the word of God as a scalpel or a sword, a double-edged sword, to get our attention again. It's, it's a two-edged sword. It is power, powerful, and it is effective. Do you know that God's word is powerful? Romans 1.16 says that. says that God's word is powerful and effective. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's a power of God for salvation to everyone who is faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Greek. It's able to pierce the toughest heart and reveal to us the thoughts and intention of our hearts. In other words, it will go to our very motives because our actions sometimes can belie what really is in our heart. I wrote down one quote here that says, when God's wills it, his word will pierce anyone. So many times when we go to a conference, we're open to that piercing and he will take advantage of that. God is using this picture of a sword as a warning against neglecting God's word by failing to obey it. And so his word is piercing. It's a double-edged sword. It both heals, but also often causes pain, but it's a good pain, isn't it? It's a good pain. It's a conviction that leads us to repentance. So the last point is that the word of God is his discerning word. We often keep the true intention of our hearts hidden, even from ourselves. Do you believe that? We often keep the true intentions of our hearts hidden, even from ourselves. We back away maybe from a Bible study because someone in that study has offended us and maybe we say we're just too busy to go to that Bible study anymore, but the true reason, somebody offended us and we just don't want to be in their presence anymore. Actions are often the result of our hidden motives. And the word of God will pierce down through those if you follow the path and will reveal your true motives. I wanted to share scripture from James that I've used before that talks about this. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this in light of what we've been talking about as a double-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, 
and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Talk about hurting someone's feelings. He just hurt my feelings. <laughs> he just hurt my feelings. He called me an adulterer. If I'm in an argument, and I'm in that argument because of selfish meetings, uh, selfish feelings, and I am trying to, uh, I am trying to get my own selfish desires out of this argument. He has called me an adulterer, and he's saying basically, you have made yourself your own god. This object that you want so badly, that you're so passionate about, you have made that uh, your god above and beyond me as your god. That's how serious that God takes this. But the good news is that where there is conviction and where there is sometimes pain when God reveals things like this to us, there is also healing. God has not meant to, meant to hurt us just for the sake of hurting us, but he's being truthful with us so that when we see the word of God that we turn back to him and receive healing from him. It's awful quiet out there. I hope that's because we're listening and making a point. God's word reveals to us our true motives and how they are not in line with God's will. Another quote that I found in my reading, God's word sifts through the heart's thoughts and attitudes and motives with unerring discrimination with unerring discrimination. If we take the word of God seriously and just slow down. When you read the word of God, slow down, okay? Don't feel like you have to read three chapters. Don't feel like you have to get through so many verses. But really take the word of God and meditate on, on it and say, Lord, what are you trying to reveal about my heart through this? What are you trying to tell me? Sometimes he tells us an action that we are to do, but often that action is dependent upon our heart being right. And so slow down and meditate upon God's word to understand what he's trying to tell you and what your motive is in your heart. Why do you come to church? That's a good one to ask, right? Why do I come to church? Do I come to church for the fellowship? Do I come to church because I've done it for 50 years? Is that the only motive that's left? Or do I come because I want to hear the word of God as hard as it may be for me to hear that and be obedient to it? If we want the world to change and be more like Christ, we're going to have to be more like Christ. We're the ones he's left behind to show them the way to be like Christ. And if we don't take God's word seriously and look at our motive, our motivation for why we do things, then we're not going to come across very well to those around us. It has to be true. It has to be genuine. There has to be real change. We live in a nation that is so far away from the word of God that it can hardly be called Christian any longer. We could go down through the list of 
things that we're offended by. They never ask what we're offended by, do they? <laughs> it's always what they're offended by. But it offends me that in this nation that it is legal for homosexuals to marry. It is offensive. It's offensive because that's not the way God designed things. As much as we love all people, it's not loving to tell them that it's okay for them to be married when that action, apart from Christ, will send them to hell forever. I don't like the fact that every politician on TV seems to tell lies. <laughs> I think there are some good politicians. I think there are some Christian politicians, but they, you notice they don't get much of the news. You know, it's the bad news that gets the news. But I fear for our nation when we can't even speak the truth to one another and have a decent conversation about what direction our country is going in. We should be able to have a decent conversation, one based upon the truth, where we can hash out ideas and come to something that's the best for all of us. There will be a reckoning. That's point number four. The word of God is that of a reckoning God. If you don't know or recognize that word reckoning, it means uh, a time of consequence of a course of mistakes or misdeeds are felt. It is a time when the consequences of a course of mistakes or misdeeds are felt. It's an accounting, right? One of these days, there is going to be an accounting. Verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God is an all-knowing God, isn't he? We do nothing in secret ever. There's nothing even secret within our own minds. Sometimes we get the idea that at least I have my mind where I can be alone. But even there, we're not alone. God knows our thoughts. He sees all. He sees all at all times. And he's aware of our thoughts and the intentions of our heart, even if we do right things, if it's for a wrong motive, and it can be for a wrong motive, right? You can do good things for a wrong motive and it brings no glory to God. And if it's not done in faith, it can be wrong. See, God and his word cannot be separated. If we're not obedient to God's word, we're not obedient to him. And therefore, there will be a day of reckoning, a time when the consequences of a course of mistakes or misdeeds are felt. So we don't, when that time of reckoning comes for us, we want it to be a time where we are given rewards, right? And that's what it will be, the Bema judgment seat of Christ. For those who are believers, it will be a time where we are given rewards for what we have done with God, God has given us. And so I bring this to conclusion by way of an application of a verse. And I've written down a verse, I think it's on your handout as well, that if one thing we could take away from this would be to be as Ezra was, then I think this would be a successful sermon. Let's read at the bottom, Ezra 7.10 on your handout. It says, for Ezra, everybody remember Ezra? 
scribe, right? Scribe who was responsible for rebuilding uh, Jerusalem and the the temple during the time of the temple and uh, Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. So he comes back to Jerusalem and for Ezra, he had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. And I underlined four different things that I think are important in this. Ezra set his heart. Ezra set his heart, underline set his heart, or write a box around it or something. He set his heart. He made an intentional decision that he was going to do something about knowing God's word. He set his heart. That's a conscious, willful decision that we need to make toward God's word in our life. He set his heart to study the law. Is your heart set to study the word of God. Mine is. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. Okay, he's not just building up head knowledge. He actually wants to do this. He wants to study the Old Testament law, which really, what did he have at that time? He had maybe Psalms. He had maybe... Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Maybe he had those. But he set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So those four things. We need to set our heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. And God will bless us. Amen? Amen? God will bless us if we do that. You know, this is not uh, me being hard on everyone. <laughs> this is me saying there is a joy and a contentment in Christ that we have yet to experience if we are not fully obedient to God's word. I want us to experience all of that. I want us to experience maximum joy, maximum happiness in our Christian life and experience Jesus Christ as better than everything. Amen. And so take this scripture, memorize it this week, meditate on it, and God will speak to you. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word. And we have so many resources available to study the word of God. But sometimes we just need to take the Bible itself and take a few verses, spend time with you, not in a sense of just learning verses, but experiencing time with you and letting you speak to us. And so many of us have difficulty remembering what we read, and it's because we're only reading the words. We're not listening to what you are saying to us. If you speak to us, I believe we will remember that. And we will, through the power of your Holy Spirit, be able to do it. And not only do, do it, but teach it to future generations. 
And so as we come to this time of prayer and closing and, and challenge, help us to be people like, like Ezra, who set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.